The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One moment, a business is on top of its game, profitable and well-respected. In the next moment, it could be the victim of a major fraud with potentially catastrophic consequences, financial losses, damaged reputation, diminished stakeholder value, scrutiny, even bankruptcy. These stories are all too common in today's business headlines. While some organizations recover, others don't make it. How do you minimize the risk of fraud and avoid the devastation? Welcome to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Our goal is to prevent your organization from becoming one of the statistics. Now, here is Chris Marquet. And good morning, Fraud Talkers. I'm your host, Chris Marquet, on the Voice America Online Radio Network. We've got another terrific program for you today, as the topic of discussion is the psychology of fraud with my special guest, Dr. David Morrison. Uh, Dr. Morrison is a psychiatrist and the co-author of a white paper called Bringing Freud to Fraud, and has also the co-author of a book called The ABCs of Behavioral Forensics, Understanding the Psychology of Financial Fraud. Uh, and we will get to uh, Dr. Morrison shortly. Uh, but remember, folks, uh, Fraud Talk is here to help educate the business community about the perils and pitfalls of fraud in today's economy and what to do about it. We're here to help uh, try to tamp it down, squelch it, shed some light on it, and hopefully stem the tide of fraud, which is everywhere. Uh, remember, the call-in line to the program is 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790 if you would like to join the discussion this morning. And you can find uh, me online on all major social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc., Etc. And uh, check out my blog, Fraud Talk on Blogspot. Uh, you can email me directly at chris at marquetinternational.com. That's M A R Q U E T International, all one word, dot com. If you've got a question, comment, or a suggested fraud of the week. Uh, speaking of which, this week's fraud of the week involves Apple, Apple computers, and a $2.4 million kickback scheme perpetrated against it by a purchasing manager. Uh, This case is posted, uh, by the way, up on the Fraud Talk blog if you'd like to check it out, Uh, but I will let me read a little bit to you from the Imperial Valley News uh, published last week. Uh, Paul S. Devine, D-E-V-I-N-E, was sentenced on December 1st, 2014 to 12 months and a day, that is just one year in prison, in order to pay 4.5 nearly million in restitution for wire fraud, conspiracy, money laundering, and engaging in transactions in criminally derived property, according to the U.S. Attorney Melinda Haig, uh, etc. According to the plea agreement, Devine admitted that beginning in approximately February 20, 2007, he engaged in a scheme to defraud Apple of money or property, as well as to defraud Apple of its right to his honest services. 
He also admitted to engaging in a conspiracy with a co-defendant, Andrew Ang, A-N-G, in which they agreed to uh, the fraud against Apple. Devine had been the global supply manager at Apple from 2005 until he was terminated at the time of his arrest in August 2010. Devine's job gave him access to confidential Apple information. In the course of the scheme, Devine transmitted confidential information such as product forecasts, pricing targets, the product specifications to suppliers and manufacturers of Apple parts, including Ang. Ang worked for several Apple suppliers located in Singapore. In return, the suppliers and manufacturers paid Divine kickbacks, including payments determined as a percentage of their Apple contracts. Uh, this is, folks, this is the, the absolute classic uh, purchasing agent uh, kickback scheme situation. Divine shared the kickbacks with Ames, Ang as usual, uh, <clears throat> and we would expect. In his plea agreement, Divine acknowledged that the scheme derived, uh, uh, deprived Apple of his property right and uh, in the confidentiality confidentiality of its information, its money, and its property, as well as its right to his honest services. Da, 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 da. Uh, Divine admitted to receiving kickbacks as wire transfers into bank accounts. He opened for that purpose in the United States and in South Korea, including accounts in the name of a shell corporation, CPK Engineering. Divine also admitted that he knowingly transferred the proceeds of the wire fraud uh, between his various accounts, including including CPK engineering accounts, in order to conceal and disguise the nature, location, source, ownership, and control of the proceeds. He specifically admitted to a May 2010 transfer of over half a million dollars, uh, blah, blah, blah. And Devine agreed that the loss attributed to the fraudulent scheme was approximately $2.4 million, which represented the amount he received in kickback payments. He agreed to forfeit about a million dollars in proceeds, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, as well as uh, IRS uh, funds that he owes on top of that. Devine, 41 of Sunnyvale, California, was indicted by a federal grand jury on August 11, 2014, charging him with 23 counts related to engaging in the wire fraud scheme, conspiring to commit the wire fraud with Aang, laundering the proceeds of the scheme, etc., etc. So, um, people, uh, it doesn't say how the fraud was discovered, which I always want to try to find out if possible in cases like that. But uh, as we can, as we know, kickback schemes are are so insidious, uh, but it, uh, because it requires uh, you know the various conspirators conspirators to keep the gig going uh, without any slip-ups for them to succeed in the long run. And it means uh, added risk for the fraudster uh, as they engage in the conspiracy. Uh, But those kinds of cases uh, I found uh, can quickly rack up big numbers in short order. And in this case here, uh, just think about it. It was 2010 when, when he was arrested. It's now 2014 in August when he gets indicted. That is the long arm of the law acting very, very slowly. So um, I want to, at this point, uh, bring in our guest, Dr. David Morrison. David, how are you? I'm very good, Chris. Thank you for having me. That's a fascinating case. 
<laughs> it is everyone every every week a new case uh i want to i want to tell our audience a little bit about you uh dr morrison is a psychiatrist by training whose principal area of expertise is in leadership and executive functioning where he has a consulting practice for corporations called morrison associates uh dr morrison has worked with many corporations to help deepen the capacity of senior executives to be self-aware with a refined process of individual and senior management team consultation he has worked successfully with many industries and within multiple levels of management and management structures and with that uh, extensive experience uh, in the corporate world he has uh, veered in to some degree and we'll, I want to get into this David uh, he has done some writing about the psychology of fraud uh, he is a co-author of a white paper uh, bringing Freud, uh, fraud to Freud, Freud to fraud. I'm sorry, <laughs> bringing Freud to fraud, and also the co-author of a book called The ABCs of Behavioral Forensics: Understanding the Psychology of Financial Fraud. And Dr. Morrison is also the author of a book, uh, more down his uh, regular. Uh, uh, arena, which is careers, a brainwise guide to managing your career, which is an ebook you can find on Amazon. Uh, Dr. Morrison is a board-certified psychiatrist and active in numerous uh, professional groups. You can find uh, Dr. Morrison and his firm at www.morrisonltd.com. Is that right, David? Yeah, fantastic! Absolutely right, Chris. Thank you. Okay. Well, welcome uh, to Fraud Talk. Thank you very much. I uh, just want to make one kind of cool point. The fact that it's a case from Apple is fascinating because our book ABCs is about um, came out of a dialogue with the Institute for Fraud Prevention regarding is this one person, is it a group, or is it an entire industry? So ABCs is um, a quick acronym or, or abbreviation to remember: bad apple, bad bushel, or bad crop. Right. So this works. This case works on a bunch of different levels. So we can stick with this or go with every way you'd like. Yeah. Well, tell, first of all, tell us how uh, how your psychiatry practice <laughs> swerved into the arena of fraud. How did that? How did that transform that uh, that go? I mean, frankly, you know. I, you know, as I write my white papers, my, you know, my embezzlement report, my Ponzi report, and other uh, papers I write about fraud, the whole arena of this, of you know, what makes the fraudster tick, right. and uh, is is fascinating to me. But also something that I found there's just not been a lot of study and understanding. So I'm so happy to have made your acquaintance, um, and uh, I'm, I'm really curious about your perspective on this. But how did you go from you know a, a psychiatrist and working on leadership and, and swerving into the area of fraud? How did that go? Well, that's a fun question. And, and uh, um, essentially, it, uh, the, the quick connecting a couple quick dots, there's a, um, a non-for-profit group in Chicago that I was recommended to join and, and find out what they were up to called the Information Integrity Coalition, uh, recommended by a former uh, chairman at uh, vice chairman at Amico, and um, that group essentially was looking at what could we do from uh, pretty much a financial mathematical framework to come up with an integer, integer or something that could document how accurate the numbers were at the end of the day for banks and credit cards. And they felt if they could generate that integer, that would be a way to document how well organizations are doing and how trustworthy the data was. 
And I came in kind of like a, a kitten in a spider web and said, hey, guys, this is interesting, but think about the human side, because no matter how good the math or the computers are, human beings have a way to mess this stuff up. And <laughs> it was kind of a, you know, you're interesting, Doc, but you're a little, you know, too far afield from us until I, I uh, crossed paths with a colleague from Grant Thornton. He was head of um, the partner who was head of corporate governance and um, basically ethics at um, uh, Grant Thornton and had been a professor of accounting at University of Illinois, so a fairly prestigious academic career, and had, uh, ironically, a Ph.D. in um, psychology from the uh, State University. And I thought, this guy is great. Uh, finally, some uh, uh, an ally, a, a colleague. And so we began a dialogue and found a shared interest in Arthur Anderson because that had been a major client of ours. And I kind of watched it stumble. And, and while it stumbled and essentially uh, was went away uh, with Enron, um, Accenture, uh, Anderson Consulting, thrived. So that was a fascinating thing of uh, how close and um, what goes on at the highest levels. So um, my colleague, Sridhar Ramamurti, uh, was very much in corporate ethics and governance. And obviously, um, his career had been... Um, derailed, essentially, by what happened at um, Enron. He had mathematical models. He was working at Anderson at the time and had mathematical models inside Anderson that was predicting problems there. And, and again, you know, no one was listening. So um, he was part of a, a reconstitution of the Institute for Fraud Prevention out of West Virginia, invited me in, and as well as a colleague from the FBI, Joe Kolitar. And the three of us sort of liked it the importance, and it was Joe's idea, basically, that he'd been pounding forever. This is not computers committing fraud. These are human beings. And the more you can work to understand what's going on with the human being, um, the better. And uh, it was interesting, too, because um, kind of cutting to the last part of, of uh, why has there not been as much interest, Chris, in this um, uh, making a long story fairly short, we presented to the FBI this summer, and one of the things we found out is um, the world of criminology, particularly the psychology of criminals, are much more interested in the Hannibal Lecter kind of bad guys than this kind of crime. Right. So their relative efforts that they've done at the national level and sort of criminology has been more about the really dark psychopaths versus these little more naughty psychopaths that are closer to you and I. So that's... Well, uh, that's well, little like, uh, you know, Bernie Madoff little. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, like I will ever be like that. But, uh, yeah, so that was um, that was the uh, sort of the nightest of the, of the ideas. And then uh, um, as we came to talk about it, a lot of uh, uh, trying to understand who are these people and what is it and why they do it. And I guess the other uh, factor just for why I was uh, invited was, if you look at the cost of fraud, the entry-level fraudster is about X, um, you could say. A mid-level manager, like your case today, Paul Devine and Andrew Ng, is about 4X. When that happens at the senior executive level, it's 16X. So there's a geometric yes. growth. So the right. more we can understand what's going on in the senior level, uh, the better we can do. So that's sort of why I was brought in. Right. Well, so we're going to have to take a, uh, a short break okay. here. Uh, my guest today is uh, Dr. Uh, David uh, Morrison, and we are talking about the psychology of fraud. And we will be back in two minutes.
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Workplaces are only as strong as their teams. Teams are only as strong as their individual members. Are you seeking a better way to take your business to a higher level? We're here to help. Listen for Leading with Social-Emotional Intelligence, Building Trust Through Intentionality and Vulnerability with host Glenn Harris. Together, we'll explore the five key behaviors of a cohesive team and other concepts designed to keep your team working smarter. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. My guest today is Dr. David Morrison, uh, who is a psychiatrist uh, by training and uh, also the co-author of a couple of uh, papers and books, one of which being Bringing Freud to Fraud and another uh, which is uh, the ABCs of uh, of um, of behavioral forensics, understanding the psychology of financial fraud, among uh, a number of others. Uh, welcome back, uh, Dr. Morrison. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Uh, and we can you we can find some of this material at uh, at MorrisonLTD.com, correct? Oh yeah, sure. And and the books published by Wiley and on their website or Amazon. Sure. Well, we've been talking a little bit about uh, you know how you veered over from uh, leadership uh, training and consulting with corporate entities and and hel- helping executives you know become more uh, sanguine uh, in their day to day management uh, skills, uh, and then you became uh, this uh, this expert. 
expert in the area of financial fraud and what makes some of these fraudsters uh, tick, uh, and of course writing these uh, these papers and books. Um, one of the things, I mean, right at the you know chapter one, uh, section one, fraud is everywhere. You write um, that fits with our ma- mantra here at Fraud Talk, which is at any time in any organization, there's always up somebody who's up to no good. Um, so is 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 fraud just something that we we just need to accept uh, in society these days? Yeah, I, I think it, it's sort of two things, and I bet we're of the same mind on this one, Chris. It's sort of, you, you've got to assume that it's there, but it doesn't mean you tolerate it. And it's kind of like um, an illness or a relative health of a system or a culture or a community or an organization. You want to... Um, do whatever you can to keep it as healthy as possible. And when it's um, not as healthy, uh, my colleague and I talk about the ecology of fraud. When the ecology of fraud starts to tip towards committing fraud, that's when you got problems. But yeah, sure. um, yeah it's uh, uh, we 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 assume it's 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 pretty much pervasive. Everyone so should assume- be vigilant. So is it something that simply is a natural growing, uh, a, you know, cancer in the in any entity uh, that needs to be constantly pared back, or or, or is it uh, you know I mean some 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 bodies are stronger and better able to withstand than others. You know, I would say it's the latter. Um, my sense is, for example, going back to Arthur Anderson, the reason why Arthur Anderson was <clears throat> the, the golden standard and really well thought of just prior to, um, uh, you know, up to the final CEO, I think, the previous administrations, there were about seven or eight of them. But uh, they essentially said, um, we will do our best by our clients, but we won't do whatever the client says. There's a point where we draw the line. And that had been um, challenged a couple times through the years. And in addition to Arthur Anderson himself, who famously said there's not enough money in um, in this organization that he was auditing, or the city of Chicago or the United States to uh, sign off on these books, um, uh, subsequent leaders, including famously Leonard Spacek, said no as well. So, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a constant battle. I would say instead of like cancer, perhaps, it's more like kind of fighting of viruses or bacteria. We kind of live with them. But the more we can knock them down, the better. Right, right. So we just we need to tamp it down. Um, you say in your book uh, that um, you know, de- you know, deception is a natural phenomenon. Right. And, and I mean, when I think of you know, when you think of the word con man, what that means, it's confidence man, right. which is basically somebody who's you know gaining confidence in, in others and in order to deceive them. Right. What do you mean by deception is a natural phenomenon? Well, you know, to stick with the idea of the common cold, um, I've had one, you might have had one this winter, this early winter, but basically what's happening is that bacteria or virus is finding a way to mimic what your body thinks is normal. And then it turns on your body to reproduce itself and sort of live there happily while, you know, you're miserable. Um, but that's not the only case. If you look around just in the, in the natural world, it, from plants to animals to creatures in the ocean, they're all trying to deceive and trick each other, whether to reproduce or to um, have food um, to eat. Or so, camouflage themselves. Exactly. You know, that, that this looks like a piece of food. Oh, my gosh. It's a, you know, it, it's a, I've just been eaten by a fish that was using that um, to, tr- to trick me. <laughs> um, you know, so... 
And, and what, I, what I like to do when I talk to students about it, at least as far as what's going on in the mind, is, um, you know, fraud generally is pretty well understood that there's an a, there's a, uh, intent to harm. I have in my mind, if I'm a fraudster, an intent to harm, to take something that's not mine, either from the organization or my, uh, my, my mark, the, the person I'm targeting to steal from, um, which, you know, as you play with the concept, how close does that come to caveat emptor or buyer beware? You know, um, there there is a there's a sense that I can fool someone into buying something that I know isn't quite all that I say it is. So there's a there's a spectrum probably in the marketplace between uh, outright fraud and you know the Ringling Brothers. Uh, there's a, there's a fool out there every day to to trick. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So the, so we're talking about a spectrum of, you know, when you just look at your everyday advertising on TV, right. uh, you know, the XYZ claims to do all these wonderful things for you. Uh, you know, maybe it does some of that, but it's not necessarily all that it's uh, cracked up, up to be um, going on, you know, on one end of the spectrum and then fully to the other end where somebody's uh, purely out to, to fleece you with your money with no intention of uh, investing it as they, as they, uh, promised. You got it. That's exactly right. Yep. So, in your book, uh, you talk about the ABCs of fraud, which we've mentioned before: bad apples, bad bushels, and bad crops. That's ABC. Right. Uh, and we have about four minutes to the next break. Can Can you explain what you mean by that? And 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 you describe it for the for the listeners. You 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 have concentric circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, describe describe that. And what do you, what do you mean by all that? Well, you know, this is kind of the fun part, at least that I've found in coming in and starting to look at it. Um, uh, one of the framing concepts we have for the book is you can get advances by answering questions, but you get discoveries by questioning answers. And if you go to the law dictionary, Black's Law Dictionary, and look up the definition of fraud, it actually um, defines it as um, something specific to one person, um, a, a, a generic and term embracing all multifarious means which human ingenuity can devise and which are resorted to by one individual to get advantage over another. And um, Joe Colatar, who had worked in the FBI and in the White Collar Crime Division, as well as just the general um, uh, FBI division in New York City, said, you know, I'm seeing a parallel between the behavior of the gangs of New York and some of these Wall Street firms and Wall Street traders, they're acting more like a gang than one bad guy. So it was around that where we started to say, well, how do we know the difference between or what would we do to stop? Because they might be two completely different uh, tactics in terms of stopping the bad apple versus stopping the bad bushel. And then as, as you know, other things have unfolded, including the LIBOR, you know, uh, finance rigging schemes and, um, you know, some of these larger uh, uh, phenomena happening in, in corrupt uh, com- uh, countries uh, where, you know, countries like Walmart, I'm sorry, companies like Walmart or whatever say the only way we can do business here is, is bribery and, and, and paying people off. Uh, you start to wonder, is, is this an entirely bad crop? And obviously, just like with, you know, the common cold versus the flu, you're going to need different kind of interventions to stop those different things. So um, that, that idea of, of is it a bad apple or a bad bushel was one of three things that we were looking at um, in terms of let's question the answers we have. 
So Bad Apple, obviously the bad, the single right. uh, soul uh, uh, fraudster, uh, uh, off on his own, doing whatever you know, doing whatever nefarious thing he's he's doing. Uh, the Bad Bushel, perhaps a, a conspiracy like you know, if we we, we look at the case uh, I described before, exactly. Yep. Uh, you got a couple of guys yep. um, who colluded, and others actually. Yep. Um, and then you have the bad crop, which might be a corruption of an entire uh, organization or structure, or even state. Mm-hmm. Uh, that so that that's how you're distinguishing between these things. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So <clears throat> they get much more complex um, once you got more than one person. I mean, it's it's sort of like, oh, that was a bad guy. We had our controls. We had our person who came in and saw that. Like um, famously here in Illinois, Rita Cronwell uh, was just a clerk. Sure. But she was able to, you know, steal $53 million at something like a thirty or $40,000 part-time clerk position. I mean, that's just um, incredible. It boggles the mind. I know it's written up in your, in your embezzlement report. It's, it's just awesome. And, you know, how was she able to do that? What was going on? That's one bad apple. But what... What happens then, you know, there, there's evidence, as, as I think will come to light and probably only get worse, of corruption and, um, you know, paying people off uh, with uh, military contracts and some of the large amounts of money that were um, dropped into Iraq or, or Afghanistan. You know, that, that gets much more complex in terms of how do you stop that and where, where does it start? Obviously, that goes up to the leadership, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a it's a pervasive thing that is uh, a culture of corruption, if you will. Right. <laughs> exactly right. Yep. Uh, and uh, I mean, the medicine for that is what? It's almost like you got to cut off the head. I mean, how, how does just uh, you know we got about a, a minute? You know, what do you prescribe for that? Well, you know, <clears throat> I think one of the things we've been talking about, uh, my colleague and I, my co-author and I, at the higher levels, obviously, there, like you and I both agree, there's going to be these pervasive um, people. Hopefully, there's, there's one particular thing we're doing here in Illinois and hopefully around the country is there's professional management of cities. Uh, city managers, are, it's, it's a unique uh, American form of government that was created in America. But had that process been implemented in Dixon, Illinois, I think Rita Cronwell would have been caught. Sure. Um, at the higher level, I think it is a matter of does do the regulatory systems, they shouldn't kill the marketplace. They shouldn't, you know, freeze everybody up. But at the same time, it should be a sense of justice and fairness and, you know, with the last depression, there was a sense that, hey, you know, there were some illegal things done that, that, that to put our economy in such a horrible place. And currently, uh, there doesn't seem to be that sense of justice and specifically um, sort of the sense that uh, I can pay this off but not admit to any guilt. There's kind of a mixed Yeah, the consent there. decree. Yeah. Sure. Well, well let's, we're going to have to take a break yeah. here, uh, uh, Dr. Morrison, and we'll be back in two minutes. Very good. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at MarquetInternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T International.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. I'm your host, Chris Marquet, with my special guest today, Dr. David Morrison, a psychiatrist and an expert in the area of the psychology of fraud. Uh, welcome back, uh, Dr. Morrison. Thank you, Chris. This is delightful. Great. Uh, we have been talking, uh, you know, about uh, the ABCs of fraud, uh, you know, and uh, the rationalizations of fraud, uh, you know, deception is a natural phenomenon, that kind of thing. You talk about in your book about uh, expanding, going beyond the traditional fraud triangle concept, and that is fraud triangle, obviously, the opportunity at one point, pressure on this, another point, rationalization uh, by the fraudster on the, the third point of the triangle, uh, and, and, and having that triangle go in motion. What, what do you mean by that, uh, uh, Dr. Morrison? Uh, that's been... The, the one thing that's been really kind of fun, at least to <clears throat> a large part of what I try to do when I'm not dealing with fraud is help leaders be as effective as possible leading their organizations, and they'll get stuck. Um, and a lot of times it's not that they, um, that they don't want to get out of it, but they're getting stuck in their own um, personality, their own past solutions, and they've got to switch uh, their motivations. So a lot of... Um, Thinking has been done. Many, uh, like Dan Ariely and others, have thought a lot about what what goes on that people choose to be dishonest. Um, but I, I was curious about this phenomena that you and I've discussed that, in other conversations about why is it this person, likely in this case Paul Devine, he's forty one, he's been doing well in his organization, but at some point something triggered him to say, 
I want more. You know, th- this is this is boring, or 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 this is I deserve more, or my company's taking advantage of me, or I've got a, a bill I've got a, uh, for my child. Um, all sorts of different reasons that people will give, and what happens commonly, I think. And this is a dialogue I'm having with experts like you to say, do you agree? Do you think this is really what's happening? So let's assume, um, you know, Paul was an honest person and has no prior criminal record, which is very common for guys like Paul, right? Yep. The, the Apple case. So the uh, the FBI and, and the criminologists, the, the police people will come in and they'll use their fraud triangle. And the purpose of the fraud triangle is kind of piece together the dynamics of the behaviors, what was going on there. You had the, the pressure, you had the opportunity, and then you had the rationalization. That forever, as far as we've seen, has been a static thing, just a fraud triangle. You put it up. In parallel to that, you've got this idea of, hey, let's start to question some of our answers. And one answer that was given to me over and over again, and you see it in virtually every media write-up, every time it's in the paper or on the news, it was greed. It was greedy. Well, from my perspective, that it doesn't signify much advancement in terms of thinking about behaviors and motivations. You could probably go back and look at some, you know, ancient writing of, of early civilizations between the Tigris and the Euphrates of, of people behaving in the marketplace, and there's probably some old word that says that he did it because he was greedy. Yeah. You know? So we've got somewhere between seven and 10,000 years of just calling it greed. We ought to blow that up. If it's, if it's greed, there ought to be perhaps some variations of it so we can think of it beyond just stopping and labeling it greed and then not thinking about it anymore. Or there's got to be other motivations. So what I tried to do was say, <clears throat> let's put this in motion. Here's a guy, Paul, in his 30s, he's fine. In his late 30s, he's starting to feel taken advantage of. And he finds some kind of hole in the accounting system. Perhaps um, somebody tips him off from another company. Perhaps what this Andrew Ng guy, maybe he started it and gave him the suggestion. Either way, at some point, he realizes there's a hole in the accounting system. He takes a little bit of money, and as you often know, he assumes or he tells himself he's going to pay it back. You know, that, that I, I'm a good guy. I'm not a lawbreaker. Uh, I, I obey the speed limit, I'm, I'm faithful to my family and my wife, all that other stuff. I'm not a bad guy. I'm going to pay this back. Well, now he's on the other side of the line, and for whatever reason, the income is starting to feel good. It's solving some problems. And now it's, as, as you know, that now it's starting to where it's going to be doing damage to Apple as a company. It's sustained. The longer these things go on, the more harm they do. And as my friend Joe Kolotar says, nobody ever stops at embe- starts at embezzling a million dollars and works their way down. Right. You know? So they, they just get more and more um, uh, aggressive. They want to take more. So that usually requires, and this is where we got into an interesting, um, perhaps, uh, cause of how do you move from the bad apple to the bad bushel. In order for him to do more, he needed to recruit um, somebody for his... Um, for his little cabal, his his gang, his conspiracy, as you would you would call it. So anyway, that's that's the the, the fundamental dynamic. And there's a, a fascinating case that they turned into a movie that you probably know called I think it's called The Informant or something like that mm-hmm. about Archer Daniels Midland. And and I think that's an interesting case in which you look at the larger company culture. And basically, he said, "I'm going to embezzle money because everyone else is cheating around here." So right. 
that's different in some ways. Yeah, of course, there is some motivation of greed, but there's also just, hey, I'm blending in. You know, I'm, I'm just part of the group. So what we try to do is blow up these motivations, and there's a way to look at motivations that would take more time than I think we want to for today, but um, you, you can look at motivations, whether it's for myself or the other person, whether I want to follow the rules or break the rules and a couple of other um, uh, choices that people have in terms of moving around in the world that I think could explain um, motivations. Now, why is that important? I think it's important, and this is probably getting into where you, you, you want to go next, but then uh, the FBI found it important. This can be helpful to get confessions and perhaps to stop fraud earlier in the cycle. If you can get in their head, so to speak, not necessarily like a psychiatrist, but at least get in the heads of employees, particularly, as you note in your report, the people responsible for financial, the financial functioning of the, of the organization, you can get in their heads and talk to them about, hey, I realize, you know, uh, that you're having a hard time making ends meet or that you're not um, where you wanted to be in terms of promotions in this company. That might either get a confession or potentially even stop somebody from following through on their, um, rather than just labeling them bad or greedy, which I think is what's been done traditionally. Right. So... You, another point you make in your book, you know, how does honesty, honesty reverse? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's essentially what we're talking about here. Because when they step over that line, I think they see themselves as being honest. They're going to conform and follow the rules. Now that this, for example, if we stick with Paul Devine, he's, he knows what he's doing is improper. There's no way that he can do that. But he... Um, probably isolates and compartmentalizes this part of his life. He doesn't go home from Apple that day and then hold up a liquor store, right? Or, right. you know, um, try to get kids into his van with candy like some kind of pedophile or something. Um, <laughs> it, this, is, this is a circumscribed small part of his personality that he's taking just for himself. It's a, it's a, I, I, I know it's, it's expensive and costly, but it's not as catastrophic or as haunting, perhaps, as a serial killer or some of the other things that the FBI investigate. So that person, for whatever reason, stays on the other side of honesty and tells himself what the police call rationalization, a particular um, uh, uh, reason for why he needs to stay there. I deserve it. The company owes me. This isn't real. It's just a game. Uh, my daughter just fell off the front of her tricycle and knocked her teeth out. There's no way I'm going to let my apple of my eye um, go forward in life uh, with a um, disfigured face. She, she was a beautiful girl, and, I, and I'm not going to let my daughter do I'm going to do whatever I can for her. So, you know, those are the kind of things that you'll, you'll hear from those who investigate frauds uh, are reasons given for why they um, sure. decided to yeah. be dishonest. So, um, and then you also talk about how, you know, how the, the fraudster sustains the action. I mean, how, how they, they keep, they, they start out, maybe they're thinking they're honest. Right. Uh, they think they're maybe going to pay it back. 
but not all. I think right. when we get into the area of the predatory, we're going to talk about right. in the next segment, yeah. predatory versus accidental. The right. predatory um, uh, fraudster, i.e. like a Ponzi schemer, uh, right. they, you know, they don't think they're being honest or maybe they believe they're, whatever they're doing is proper. But um, the, whereas the embezzler thinks, you know, I'm going to pay it back, what have you. But then it gets into a pattern of, you know, well, okay, this life is pretty good. I'm going to keep doing this. So how do, how do the how does a fraudster sustain their action with uh, if we've got about 30 seconds uh, here uh, dr morrison yeah so you know that's that's a a, a a fascinating question one real important point that i think is uh, um, important for the someone like you who is advising people to watch out for fraud and someone like me who's kind of talking to organizations in terms of how to create the environment the as you described very well the the ponzi guy he's charismatic he's the proverbial snake oil salesman. You remember that guy. The embezzlers, for the most part, want to blend into the background like a, like wallpaper. They don't want to be noticed. So they're two completely different kind of people. Right, right. So, but then they, I mean, how do they rationalize, how in their mind do they sustain? Oh, oh well, that's the, that's the thing, you know, um, where it, you can fall into a trap if you think everybody's going to be the same. What, what I like about this model of motivation is it gives you eight different options to begin to think about what might be going on in my finance department or what might be going on. Um, I think the Ponzi guy is probably pretty consistent. Um, the embezzler is going to be more, um, depends on their personality and their life story. Um, both of them, interestingly, happen in late adult life. And I think, I guess, the common thing that they would have is they both likely are dealing with um, disappointments. They're not the person they hope to be at that point in their life. Okay, we're going to take a break right here, and we'll be back in two minutes for our final segment, uh, and speaking with uh, Dr. Uh, David Morrison. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host. 
as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. My guest today is Dr. David Morrison, a psychiatrist uh, who is also an expert at the psychology of fraud. Has written uh, some books and white papers on this topic. Uh, and you can find him at www.morrisonltd.com. That's M O R R I S O N L T D.com. Uh, welcome back, uh, Dr. Morrison. Thank you, Chris. So we've been talking a bit about you know uh, the psychology of fraud and uh, you know the differences between uh, some of these uh, these factors and the, the whole fraud triangle concept being something that uh, really needs to be um, expanded and um, um, beyond what the, you know the traditional static opportunity pressure and rationalization three pointed triangle uh, into something that's uh, more in motion. And um, one other thing in your books and uh, and papers you talk about is the difference between what you describe as the predatory fraudster and the accidental fraudster. What uh, to me nobody's accidental, but but maybe explain what you mean by that. Yeah, I think um, you you know the, the the these concepts are are at times can be artificial to try to force them on. And, and um, so I agree with you. After a point, an accidental fraudster is no longer accidental. They are intentional. Um, but the idea is to sort of begin to alert your op risk officers or your everyday um, uh, person who has an email, for example. I was working on these concepts, and it was around this time of year, and, and the holidays had come and then gone. And I got in my email this great-sounding email that was going to solve all my bills. You know, uh, I was, was going to get all this money coming in, and, and it was perfect timing. I'd pay for my credit cards, I'd pay for my dinners out, pay for my winter um, uh, break uh, with my kids' vacation. And I thought, that's pretty sophisticated that they did that. Let's take a closer look at what they were doing. And this, I, I felt, was more along the lines of the predatory fraudster. This is a person that's specifically targeting me and in a way, is using deception to build my confidence, as you described, to con me out of my money. Um, the, the, my, my colleague, Joe Colatar, who said, you know, you no know, one starts at a million dollars and works their way down, and a couple of other real great pearls of wisdom. He also says there's only three ways people can take your money. They can um, come in the middle of the night, steal the money out of your mattress. They can put a gun to your head and say, you your money, your life. Or... They can con you out of it. So what's going on? What's happening in that email that they're conning me? Well, one of the things I think is um, long-term is a problem, is more and more these uh, confidence scams, particularly that happen over technology, look more and more real. They look like there really is Visa's um, website or my bank statement or whatever. 
and then I give away information that causes me to, you know, um, have all my money taken from me. Um, but uh, in addition, there are those that we've seen that plays on our um, uh, emotions. And one of the things I've seen with executives, just like with this guy, um, Paul Devine, of your case, who's probably compartmentalized this crime that he's doing, uh, executives tend to compartmentalize their emotions. They, they tend to completely dismiss them and say that they're um, confusing, uh, they're soft stuff, <clears throat> whereas uh, what I'm recommending strongly in our text is that emotions are data. And the more you can understand and figure out how emotions work, the more you will be inoculated, so to speak, against the predatory fraudsters. I think it will also help with embezzlers, but what I was targeting, what we're targeting mostly in the book, is how to be on alert. It boils down simplistically, Chris, to the idea you yeah, see you emphasize in your papers and reports that if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Right. But there's dynamics that go around doing that. First and foremost is, <coughs> and you see it in the Ponzi schemers, um, easy money, fast money. You don't have to do anything, and you get X. Whoa! You know, I like that deal. And by the way, you know, it's really easy. Whoa, I like this even more. And then some point along the line, somehow, and the affiliation scams work this way and other ways work this way, there's kind of this um, implication, don't tell anybody about this. Because the Ponzi schemer doesn't want you asking questions or telling other people. It's, the affiliation works because, you know, you're, you're supposed to keep it um, secret because we're part of the same clan, the same group. Right. And, um, you know, by, by doing so, that, that keeps us um, from telling anybody who might question it and say, hey, there's something fishy about this. So we have, you have the, the active um, predatory fraudsters, the, pon- the investment schemers, the Ponzi schemers. You previously described that they're the ca- charismatic characters who are out there. They're the consummate showmen, consummate salesmen right. who are, who are in, in Enlisting uh, both uh, people to their to their cause as well as uh, new investors, etc., uh, and constantly I- involved in that sort of very active uh, um, engagement uh, of their fraud, yep. um, and that is contrasted uh, with um, what you describe as the accidental ones. And maybe these these are more characterized by the embezzlers we see. You know, somebody who maybe it was originally there was. Yeah, a, a real need because you know they got divorced, is the college bills or there's whatever the child care gets sick, what have you. Uh, they take a little bit. They've got the intention of paying it back, but then things change. Right, right. Yeah. Now emotions are still playing a role in there, but it's more internal to their own values. Our 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 values carry weight because they're emotionally um, laden. You know, it's important to us. Somehow that person that um, we keep talking about, Paul, but also Andrew Ng in this Apple case, yeah, they decided that they they're going to compromise their values. That they you, I bet if you were to go back and interview both of them, if you could on their first day of the job, they had no intention of doing this. Probably you know whatever seven or eight years ago, um, before it started, maybe ten years ago, they would not say that they would do this. Somehow they're. Um, their their values were compromised. It's a different dynamic, but emotions are still playing a role. And if you if you don't have a, a concept or a model for the emotions, you're going to miss it either in yourself, 
um, and, and the people you're hiring as it relates to embezzlement or as you deal with um, uh, Ponzi schemers or other hustlers who want to um, rip off the company or rip you off. Right. So uh, we have about a minute or so. Uh, you suggest a call to action in your books. What, what is that call to action? Well, it's a couple of different things. It, it, obviously, um, being aware that this is um, uh, this is a dynamic that that people are doing this over time. The more you can institute a, a culture of connectedness, and that um, you, if you do this, you're harming the organization on the inside. On the outside, as you deal with these dangerous um, uh, Ponzi guys or other hustlers, you want to you know keep that vigilance in terms of hey, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. One of the key things we also talk about is leadership executives in particular can get off track when they start to ask, is this legal? Can we legally do this? Because what can happen is that legal line can move. Um, and uh, what you really should be asking, is this the right thing to do? There's more specifics in the book in terms of how do you actually do this and how does this relate to actual fraud techniques, um, but it's probably more time than you than, than we have here today sure well i, I thank you um so and, and we can you can uh order the book on um the abcs of uh of uh, behavioral forensics uh the financial fraud book uh that can be uh obtained through amazon correct yeah one other thing um uh, my ideas that you that are on the Morrison website are, are a lot about executives, but if you're interested in the fraud ideas, we do have a blog called Bringing Freud to Fraud, and we've been talking about fraud in the World Cup, in politicians, and uh, all sorts of other ideas, and even the, the presentation today. Great. So Bringing Freud to Fraud, the blog, I'm sure if you Google it, you can That's find right. it. That's exactly uh, we're going to have to wrap up here. So I want to thank uh, Dr. Da- David Morrison for joining us today. Uh, th- thank you, Dr. Morrison. Thank you. Uh, it was an honor to be with you, Chris. Yeah. No, it's, it's intriguing uh, subject that I'm sure we could talk about for hours. Uh, I want to uh, remind people next Monday, 10 a.m., uh, another edition of uh, Fraud Talk, and I will be previewing the soon-to-be-released 2013 Marquet Report on embezzlement at long last, uh, way overdue, but uh, we're going to get it out uh, and uh, uh, ho- hopefully uh, within the next uh, uh, few days and uh, should be uh, quite interesting. Again, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Morrison. Thank and we'll you, be Dr. back. King. Yep, we'll be, do- we'll be back soon. All right. Thank you for listening to Fraud Talk this week. Please join Chris Marquet again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Don't become a victim of fraud. Tune in for another show soon. Oh,